The Department of Health and Human Services issued a set of proposed rules in October that would steeply penalize healthcare providers, both organizations and physicians, that engage in so-called information blocking. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's Tuesday, December 19th. Thanks so much for joining us. Information blocking is a practice that interferes with, prevents, or discourages access, exchange, or use of electronic health information and is banned by the 21st Century Cures Act. An example of what information blocking may look like among providers could be a hospital or health system refusing to share electronic health information with another healthcare organization over fears that they might poach their patients. Yesterday, we heard the first part of my conversation with Mickey Tripathi, National Coordinator for Health Information Technology at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, where we took a deeper dive on what exactly the proposed penalties are and how they could impact providers. Today, we talk more about the timing of the proposed rule. Here's our conversation. The penalties for information blocking that you outlined are pretty significant, even if the financial penalties will vary a lot depending on the size of the organization. And it seems as though the penalties, as well as the move from ONC to publicly post the names of organizations that the Office of Inspector General determines have engaged in information blocking, would be significant deterrents. But healthcare provider organizations were already forbidden from engaging in information blocking, at least from 2020, but we're just seeing these penalties now. Why did it take so long to add teeth to that law? Yeah, no, it's a great question and totally fair question. So uh, it actually didn't go into effect till 2021. You know, it even it took even longer, actually, from depending on which way you're measuring from, whether you're looking from now going backward or from, you know, what the way I measure it is, you know, 2016 was when the 21st Century Cures Act was passed. And then we came in with this in this administration and we're looking at this and it was like, well, none of this has actually gone into effect <laughs> first, <laughs> firstly um, and second. So, so none of it was put into effect. And none of the penalties were defined and enforcement hadn't gone to effect either. So the law, so the, you know, the, um, the policy wasn't in effect, enforcement wasn't in effect and the penalties hadn't even been, um, you know, sort of initially scoped. There had been no, no um, work done on that. So in answer to your question, why did it take so long to get us from, you know, to 2021 to where we are today? We started working very hard in the summer of 2021 um, because we, you know, came in, saw this as being, well, wait a minute, this is a huge enforcement gap on a law that was passed five years ago with very strong bipartisan support and was signed by President Obama and Vice President Biden, then Vice President Biden. So obviously we um, took that as a very high priority um, and it was a big enforcement gap. So we started in earnest in the, and I will say that, you know, that the secretary himself and the secretary's office was very involved from the beginning, um, identifying and helping us um, sort of navigate this very difficult and complex um, you know, sort of situation because the, um, and the answer to your question of why it took so long was because it was so complex. Congress in the, you know, in the statute, when they defined the, you know, sort of the information blocking regime and the associated penalties for two of the three actors who are EHR vendors, um, certified technology vendors, um, which is mostly EHR vendors and health information networks, what they did is they 
They said that uh, OIG has given new authorities to assess penalties, and they even um, gave them civil monetary penalties of, uh, authority of up to a million dollars per incident. So that was defined in the statute. And, you know, not that any of this is simple, but from a regulatory perspective and as a regulatory agency, which I now am, that's actually relatively straightforward. Like if the law kind of tells you here, here is new authority and here's the penalties you can assess. Then it's like, well, great. You know, now I just need to write a rule implementing that and telling and do, uh, doing the specifics, but I don't need to worry about, you know, can I do that? Um, whereas what happened with positions is that the statute said, and for providers, provider disincentives will be determined by the Secretary of Health and Human Services using existing authorities and notice and comment rulemaking. And every one of those little phrases I just laid out there is hugely complicated um, because they didn't define what's an appropriate disincentive. They didn't you know, sort of assign it to an agency. So they dropped it in the lap of the secretary's office, which you know, then, then you have to figure out, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, how's this work? And who's responsible for this? And who's actually gonna pick this up and run with it? And then, you know, you have to figure out, well, which agencies and what ex existing authorities. So what we, you know, what we did and what's taken us, you know, this amount of time is we literally started looking across all the HHS agencies, looking at all the potential levers, like, well, who has civil monetary penalty authority? Who has programs that, you know, have penalties associated with them and literally looking at every agency and then went through a complicated process working with the general counsel's office to say, where, which ones of these programs actually allow you to assess a penalty for something that is new um, because all of those programs were you know from statutes that were for something else right information blocking comes along later so some of those programs actually don't have the flexibility to say oh sure you can use this penalty that we defined five years ago for this sure you can use that penalty for that we didn't anticipate it, right? I mean, you can you can imagine the difficulty of that. So anyway, that's why it took so long was for us to at least go through, try to identify which are the ones that we have great clarity on and that we can get out to market, you know, as quickly as we can with an eye towards saying, this is the first set. And the important thing is for us to establish the overall framework within the department and to identify the first set of disincentives, but we will continue to work on additional disincentives as we go through this process. And just to stick with the example you just gave, uh, which are more straightforward penalties for certified IT developers and health information exchanges or networks, and those recently went into effect. So how widespread would you say information blocking was, and what kind of compliance have we seen from those organizations so far? Yeah, well, um, I mean, it's an interesting question because, you know, we don't really know because there's no investigation. And, and investigations... It didn't start. So the OIG um, rule wasn't finalized until the summer of 2023. And then the investigations didn't um, start or the enforcement didn't start until September 1st of this year, of this calendar year. So, um, you know, so the law, you know, so the rule, ONC rule made the effective date of April 5th, 2021. And basically, you know, at that point said, all right, everyone who is an actor under this providers, you know, networks, vendors, from this point forward, required to be in compliance, but there was no enforcement associated with it. So, you know, you could kind of argue, well, if you're a provider organization, I mean, or any of those organizations, well, until enforcement is defined, I don't really know, you know, yes, I'm supposed to be in compliance, I'm trying to be in compliance, but, you know, there's no enforcement. So uh, we don't really have a good, you know, metric on, well, what percent 
of you know organizations are in compliance versus not because um, well we don't have that ability to measure generally and enforcement didn't go into place. Uh, you know I will say to the extent that um, we saw um, and, and had a lot of feedback related to one provision of the information blocking rules, which was the um, immediate release of results to patients, where a number of providers were very concerned about it, and you know and and talking about their concerns about it in the AMA and others as well. Well, obviously, if they're actually complaining about that, that means that they're actually implementing it. <laughs> um, so that was one indication that, all right, well, organizations are complying with, you know, certain parts of this. Otherwise, it would, they wouldn't be complaining about it. Um, so, um, uh, you know, the other place to look for this is our complaints. So on our website, we publish uh, monthly data that we update every month on, on the complaints that we've received. I don't know that there's been an uptick since enforcement started in September, but, you know, but it's still early. So we'll see. Um, we get roughly five complaints per week. The vast majority of them, meaning like 85% of them still are patients who are alleging that a provider is uh, information blocking, which is, you know, which is interesting. That percentage is kind of held up um, over that time. And it spoke to the importance to us of getting the appropriate disincentives um, defined, you know, identified. You know, we may or may not believe that that's really the percentage and the composition of information blocking in the market. But if you look at the complaints, the vast majority of them so far have been against providers. That speaks to the need to get the in provider enforcement part of this um, uh, into place to benefit patients. And so as we wrap up, how do these penalties from an enforcement standpoint, from those put into place for IT groups and those proposed for providers and provider organizations, fit into the federal government's overall interoperability goals? Yeah, it's I mean, it's very much a compliment, I think, to, you know, to the other, uh, you know, kinds of uh, levers and the policy initiatives that we have. So, you know, I think of it as a you know, we we do everything we can to make interoperability easier. So that's, you know, certified electronic health records, standardized data to make it easier to share that information, fire APIs, um, the um, and then TEFCA. All of those is, is an attempt to say, how do we make it easier and easier and easier? If you were going to look at that, you know, sort of cynically, um, how do you take away the excuses that some that an actor might have for not sharing information if they're just saying, well, it's just too darn hard, um, right? You take away more and more of those excuses. I think of it more in the positive of how do you make it easier for them to share information? And then the information blocking part is to say, and that makes it easier for you to do the thing that you have to do. That's the push. Um, so there's the, I'm gonna lower the activation energy or lower the barriers to sharing information, but I'm also gonna tell you, you need to share information. Um, and you need to make it a higher priority. You know, I will say my experience in the market um, prior to joining ONC is that, you know, a lot of what we think of as information blocking is actually, um, uh, you know, priorities. Is that, you know, provider organizations, other organizations have a tremendous amount on their plate and they've got a lot of different priorities on their plate. And, you know, we as a, you know, sort of a healthcare system at large, um, haven't placed a great enough priority on information sharing and the you know the need for interoperability. And there are a whole bunch of other things that just are higher on the list. You know, improving quality, improving safety, secure. I mean, cybersecurity, obviously, right? Huge issue um, and and a very valid issue. And so you know, it always every year you know it's like lower on the list of you know because you do have to work 
proactively to get pro to get interoperability from a policy perspective and from a technical perspective. Um, and so, you know, so I think that, you know, part of, a, you know, another framing of the information blocking regulations, along with everything we're doing is to say, we're making it easier for you to share information, and you need to move it up your priority list. So that that should help you move it up your priority list because we're making it easier as well. So those two things work together. That was Mickey Tripathi, National Coordinator for Health Information Technology at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. We spoke in early December about HHS's proposed penalties for providers that engage in information blocking, why it took a few years to get these proposed penalties to the public, and how they aid in the federal government's interoperability goals. You can find the first part of our conversation at JustHealthcare.com, along with the language of the proposed rule. The public comment period for these proposed penalties ends on January 2nd. This is Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the program. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at gisthealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. The Gist Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of Gist Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company.